When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of my podcast this week is Helen McGuire, co-founder and CEO of Diversely. You don't see representation of real life within those offices and those boardrooms or those shop floors or those restaurants or wherever it might be. You're not seeing a genuine representation of even the customers or the clients that you're trying to serve. And that really puts you A, on the back foot in terms of attracting the right employees to your to your business, but also in terms of being able to serve those people in the best way you could possibly serve them. If you don't have the perspectives of 50% of the population, you know, where women are concerned, or 20% of the population where disabled people are concerned, or whatever the percentage population is of your specific race and ethnicities in the location that you are, then how are you really understanding what your what your client or your customer wants? And are you actually limiting, you know, your, your sales revenue because of that? This is Helen. She's a champion of underrepresented groups. She's an international speaker on the topics of diversity, equality, and inclusion, and has meanwhile become an award-winning entrepreneur in the diversity space. She founded the first woman careers platform in the Middle East, Hotscots.work, in 2016, which grew to a worldwide community of over 80,000K, working with businesses like Facebook, MasterCard, and Nestle. Experiencing frustrations with the lack of impact of its in-person business model led her to found Diversely in 2020, together with her co-founder, Haley Becker. The vision for the company is clear and compelling, a global workplace that's freed from bias for all of those from underrepresented groups, not just women. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Helen to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the workplace when it comes to hiring the best people for the job, and how this bias is actually impacting the performance potential of many businesses around the world. We discussed Diversely's approach to solve this massive global problem at the very core and what obstacles they had to overcome to ensure a rapid go-to-market. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, the teams that are slightly uncomfortable with each other come up with much better solutions. Secondly, how starting with solving the essence of the problem and changing behavior in that very moment can spark momentum. Thirdly, how pricing can be used as a lever to go to market quickly. And fourthly, 
by taking a rebellious mindset and looking at the problem from a completely different perspective is the recipe to create something remarkable and not burn out along the way. So hi, Helen. Thank you for making the time available today and be a guest on my podcast. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here. I recognize your company. I said stumbled across it. I think it was in February or something like that. And then we had a a short conversation about the podcast and and doing an interview because what you're doing is really like at the heart of what I try to get communicated with the podcast. It's all about technology, how we, but the value that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. But you're actually, I think you're stacking something on top of that, which is also kind of the right people and the right diversity and that whole movement almost, I find super interesting. So glad that you could make the time available today. And I realize that you're getting ready for towards your launch. Before we start talking about your business diversely, a little bit about you. So how would you describe yourself in two or three words and that characterize you best as an entrepreneur or as a person? Yeah, I think I'm very open to new ideas. I'm definitely extremely determined and not easily put off. And I'm very strong-willed. So if I believe in something strongly, then it's something that I, that I will pursue until the very end. Nice one. I think that connects very well also with determined. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty... I mean, I saw that you, you started the business about a year ago now, right? May 2020. Start yeah. a business in the middle of the pandemic mm. because it was going on pretty heavy by then. <laughs> is I would say really brave. But talking about that, it's like, what is the big idea behind it? Yeah, no, that's a, a really good question. So I've been in the DNI space for about six years now. I founded a women's careers platform back in 2015 called Hopscotch. And that really came out of my personal experience as a woman in the Middle East with many friends and colleagues who you know, as soon as they had kids or whether they'd moved as expats with their families, let's say, unfortunately dropped off the career ladder and found it very difficult to get back in because yep. of the lack of flexible thinking around what a workplace should look like, hours, locations, discrimination, if you've been out of the workforce for a certain period of time as well. Prior to that, I worked in communication. So I was at the BBC for 10 years and then in advertising for a further four years and actually worked in very male dominated industries. And it was really just this experience that kicked off a real kind of frustration in me that there would be so many women out there, you know, at this point, we're just focused purely on women who had incredible backgrounds and skills and, you know, were, were improving those all the time, whether they were in the workplace or not. And yet they weren't being given the opportunity to really shine and and to use those skills and essentially, you know, had almost wasted their time over the last 10 to 15 years where their career progression was was concerned. And so Hopscotch really tried to solve that problem. And we worked with big companies like Facebook and Nestle and HSBC and MasterCard and so on to help them to attract more women and to get them back into their, you know, into their offices, essentially, through initiatives and recruitment and training And that really went on for about four and a half, five years. And we operated in the Middle East, expanded to Asia in 2018. We had about 80,000 women in our network. So, you know, it was solving a part of the problem. My frustration with it was the lack of scalability of that solution. It was a very in-person business solution. 
and it yeah. kind of relied on on me you know i was driving it we were definitely a bit ahead of our time particularly in those regions so even the idea of employing more women or gender balance had to be sold in you know it was already an education and awareness before we even got to the point of of providing the solution and we were only focused on women so you know many of the issues that women face around gender discrimination are exactly the same as those that are faced by people with disabilities by older people and of course by people of different race and ethnicities the core you know issue is really the same so myself and my co-founder set up diversely really as a response to that experience and those learnings that i had with with hopscotch but definitely the frustrations that i had with it as well and my co-founder haley is the xmd of girls in tech so she takes care of the product side of things and tech side of things and i tend to deal more with the commercial so the marketing branding the advertising cool. so on yeah i mean you're spot on i mean i'm a man <laughs> i come from an organization which was also pretty much led by men I've also worked in in countries where we where the company acquired some business where the balance was really there, and yeah. you could show you could, it was almost embarrassing to see the difference. And yeah, I mean this this needs to go out of this world. It's unfair. Yeah. It's like you say. It's to be even to put everything in in one bucket like dis disabled race gender. It's it's crazy. It uh, and still it happens. <laughs> It does. And you still just don't see, you know, as you have experienced, you don't see representation of real life within those offices and those boardrooms or those shop floors or those restaurants or wherever it might be. You're not seeing a genuine representation of even the customers or the clients that you're trying to serve. And that really puts you A, on the back foot in terms of attracting the right employees to your to your business but also in terms of being able to serve those people the, in the best way you could possibly serve them if you don't have the perspectives of 50% of the population you know where women are concerned or 20% of the population where disabled people are concerned or whatever the percentage population is of your specific race and ethnicities in the location that you are then how are you really understanding what your what your client or your customer wants and are you actually limiting you know your your sales revenue because of that so it really all comes down to the bottom line it comes down to money in many ways for many businesses but of course yeah. it is also completely the right thing to do yeah that's funny i mean I, my next question is always like what is the value or the opportunity that we get when we are when we are truly embracing this and you 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 nailed that spot on and in, i think in too many ways the leaders I'm not thinking about that. They just think, okay, so I need to hire more women or I need to hire more people that are disabled or from a different race where I don't even think, make the connection about the upside to the business and how everything will start to just work much, much better. Exactly. It's a huge upside. I mean, we've actually produced a DNI starter guide for this very specific reason. And it's a five-step guide. The first step is why is DNI important to businesses? Because whether you're a person who is, you know, in the C-suite or leading teams, or whether you're just somebody who's passionate about DNI and wants to make a change, there are, you know, very key ways of understanding why it's important in order to be able to sell that in to your teams, to your yeah. shareholders, to your boss, whoever it might be. And that's certainly one of them. And I think the other one is that perspective that decision-making, that creativity. And there are so many experiments that demonstrate that actually 
teams that are slightly uncomfortable with each other come up with much better solutions. <laughs> because you've got that challenge, you've got that challenge mindset, you've got somebody in the team who say, well, no, I just don't see it like that. And so you're coming up with the ultimate solution rather than just, you know, nodding. Do we agree or so no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all been there. Um, yeah, it's the complacency it's that, get, that kicks in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that, I guess, is the business value to diversity or certainly, yeah. you know, the beginnings of it. Yeah, and I mean, that's the right way for me also to, to approach it because I, I still see it as too much of a stick that's being used. For yeah. example, I'm currently doing a value proposition project for a company, for one of my customers in the UK, typically around human capital management. And yeah. I've been visiting the, the websites of their customers and all of them have that report on their website. It's almost like compliancy check. Yeah. That's the wrong way to approach it. It is. And I think, you know, one of the things we look into are, for example, equal opportunity statements on job ads and helping, you know, our tech helps businesses to write better job ads to better structure their job ads, but also to take a look at those tick box statements and so on, because we actually ran a poll on our LinkedIn, I think it was just last week, and 40% of people are completely off put by such statements and wouldn't apply for a job because it doesn't feel genuine. And in, in sure. many cases, it's not genuine. And okay. who, who would want to work? You know, if you are one of those underrepresented talent groups and you see that, then you're just going to say, no, thank you. Exactly. Yeah, that's the kind of ticking into the war of talent again. So, I mean, you made a great point, a great bridge to the technology then, because you initially said there was sort of a movement building up already with 80,000 women member. Mm. It wasn't scalable. It was all about the individual relationship with each other. And as a consequence, you started the company diversely to, yeah, to create a difference there. So talking about the solution that you are creating, what did you particularly focus on in creating a solution that helps make that difference that helps make that transformation coming yeah it was about really approaching it from you know rather than sitting in the branches of the problem and looking down on it getting to the very root of it so really digging deep into what can we do what can we create that is going to change it at the very very heart of the system so we're not relying on women to prove their worth. We're not asking them to go out and upskill or retrain or present themselves in a certain way. Neither are we doing that for any. We're not asking anybody to change. We're asking the system to change. We're changing the way that people are hired, changing the way that people are seen, essentially, by hiring managers by talent acquisition teams, by the people at the very, very front line who are making these first decisions. And we don't want to do that once the people are in the business. We don't want to do it, you know, when they're going through an assessment. We want to do it right at the very beginning of the process so that everybody is getting a fair opportunity right at the start. How can we do that? What can we create? How can we make it scalable? So these were all the things that I went into. I joined a tech startup accelerator called Antler, which you may have heard of in, in January of last year. And Antler kind of said, look, you know, we love your experience. We love what you've done with Hopscotch. We really hate the business model. <laughs> and I said, that's fine. So do I. But, you know, we love the, the problem that you're trying to solve. So if you can bring that and yourself into the program, then, you know, we're good to go kind of thing. 
So that's what I started January of last year with. And I, you know, I wrote a specific statement, like a, a goal statement, really, before I joined that program. And it was exactly that. How can we create equal opportunity for everybody who wants it? And aside from that, you know, I really kind of started from scratch, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, spot on. Because to solve the problem is not to have to make it simpler or to make it more convenient to do these things. At the end, it's like to go back to the root cause. Yeah. Change it, change it from from there. So, what did you do? Well, what did it turn out to be then? Like, <laughs> what did you create that yeah. enables yeah. that to do? Yeah. So, I went through lots of iterations, as you can imagine, in the program. It's a very full-on program. One of the aims of the program is to help you find a co-founder to solve these problems as well. So, as I mentioned, my background is much more on the commercial side, marketing and sales side. I knew that I needed a tech person to help me with this, and that's really all I knew. But I did work with several tech people within the program, and the solution that we that we came out of the program with essentially was a simple job ad bias analyzer. And that really formed the basis of where I then went with the idea. So I left Antler in the March of 2020 with that kind of idea of, okay, how can we reimagine the job ad to make it more inclusive, to make it more appealing to underrepresented talent and to use tech to be able to do that? I knew that was possible, having gone through the program and explored yeah. that. And then I started to look at, okay, you know, how do we make that into a set of tools that really solve the problem along several points where sourcing is concerned? So sourcing is the very first thing that happens when you're looking for a new person for a job. So what can that look like? So essentially, Haley and I, my now co-founder, started working together on that. We'd known each other for a few years previously and she was also very into the idea of solving this problem. So we began working on, on that in probably the May of, of last year. And by that point, I you know, had a good idea of, of the vision, how I wanted to approach it. And would it be helpful for me to give you kind of, you know, how it works in a nutshell? I yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So basically, we start with helping businesses to understand how diverse they are. So we've created an API that plugs into public data that gives them specific percentages across gender, race, ethnicity, and age. And that gives them a visualized picture benchmarked against their industry and their location. Um, so jumping off point, really, you know, it's, it's just a, a way for them to start the conversation. But the actual magic of diversely, which is what the business is called, is in the tools that we've created. So we've worked with the University of Nottingham in the UK, and we've created the Job Ad Bias Analyzer, which is essentially a writing interface that you copy and paste your job ad into, and it highlights, tracks, measures, and gives replacements for any non-inclusive language and structure. So that equal opportunity statement that I mentioned would be something that would pop straight up on that if it was in any way disingenuous. And that all happens within five seconds. It's a job I used to do manually for clients when I was running Hopscotch that used to take me hours and hours. So I, for one, am very happy that we have a tool that... Sure, that, you know, that's what AI is for. Yeah, no, it's, it's quite a magical tool. It really, It's really quite something to behold when clients start using that and just to see their reaction. 
So it will give you a score, you know, it will give you a bias score really. And your, your job is to improve that. And that's been created with the University of Nottingham with years worth of, of data. So it's scientifically backed. You can then post out to multiple job boards. So we've integrated now with almost 600 job boards globally. And the purpose of that is to help you to play in the spaces where underrepresented talent might be. So it's not really good enough just to post your job ad on LinkedIn or Monster or Indeed. You want to go after, you know, those job boards that help you attract underrepresented talent. So whether that's people with disabilities, people with autism, it could be older people, it could be grads. We have a job board basically to cover that and we'll recommend the job board based on the parameters that you've put in. Nice. So if you need to attract more women, it will show you where those job boards are in your region. It's all geographically directed as well. Let me make a small interruption here. Helen just explained a critical element of how diversity has created defensible differentiation. Instead of doing what everybody else does, i.e., integrate with big job ad marketplaces around the world, they went the opposite approach by integrating with plus 600 job boards that focus on the underrepresented groups. And this is a trait remarkable software companies master. They aim to be different, not just better. They create new value possibilities instead of incrementally evolving traditional approaches. And you can master these traits as well. I have two options for you to start. First, Read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experiences with our tribe and also what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. And then finally, all of the applicants that come into the diversity dashboard, which shows you all of your data around DNI across five different elements. So we take into account sexual orientation, disability, age, gender, and race and ethnicity. And all of those elements will be tracked for you. So the data analytics run across the whole platform. And those applicants will be completely anonymized when they show up in that dashboard. And that's really to take that element of human bias out of that first sort through those CVs. So again, it doesn't matter what their name is. You know, it may matter about where they come from, which we can filter. It doesn't matter how old they are. What matters is can they do the job? You know, do they have the skills to do the job? Are they going to fit with what you need for that specific role? And that's what the anonymizer achieves for you you can also switch on an indicator which shows you where the underrepresented groups yeah. are within fascinating yeah yeah that's the way to do it and i mean i like the way you actually kind of guide the teams augment them in that in that way that's the term i'd like to use and to make the better decisions and at the end to see that uh, how that impacts their yeah kind of the impact of their business did you do yeah. anything to further articulate that in terms of what the effect is the moment you start to kind of up your benchmark towards a higher score and what's, yeah, what the potential then could be. Data analytics were really the first thing that we looked at when we were building this because what we recognized was that 95% of the clients that we'd spoken to had absolutely no way to measure whether what they were doing on DNI was working or not, yeah. even though over 60% of them were spending money 
on new hires, on strategy, on training, whatever it might be, they still didn't understand or have any way of measuring how successful it was. So for us, this is really, really key to the platform. And within that dashboard that I mentioned, you can view your hiring pipeline and you can see over time whether you're attracting the right people, whether that's getting better, whether it's getting worse, which job boards are essentially serving you, you know, the right candidates and the type of candidates that you're looking for. So there's lots of ways of kind of reporting out of that platform in terms of how you're doing, how you're tracking against your goals and your targets, which can also be set up in the dashboard. So that's really the key to, you know, to proving proving the worth really of what you're doing and, and figuring out whether you're you're making progress or not. Great. So what was the hardest thing to crack in this whole line that you just highlighted? Mm. It's been a remarkably I'm going to say smooth, and obviously I will immediately regret that because something terrible will happen tomorrow, but <laughs> it's actually been quite a smooth process. I mean, the key for us was, yes, you know, understanding what we were building and figuring out whether the tech was actually capable of delivering that and also finding the funds to do it. So we raised nearly 400,000 US dollars towards the end of last year. And that's been obviously very key in our progress. I mean, we've built this in a very short space of time. And then it was finding, you know, clients who were willing to go with us on the journey. And we've been extremely lucky to have 20 early adopter clients already running through the platform, eight of which have been beta testing with us since January. And I think, to be honest, the, you know, the biggest challenge for us has been probably in pricing, to be honest. Really? Um, Yeah, because, you know, we want this to be something that is accessible to everybody. And, you know, we don't want to make it inaccessible through going too high on the pricing. But at the same time, we are a startup that has to demonstrate value to our to our shareholders, of course. We have our own targets to reach. So that's been one thing. And then I think you know, as we move forward, it will be entering into different markets. So our, our key target markets are the more developed economies, actually. So we see lots of organic traction from the UK, the US, Australia, some from here in Singapore, where we're based at the moment. And yeah, just, you know, getting it into different markets quickly, because every single client we speak to, you know, the main driver of, of them connecting with us is that they need a solution to this. And there are very few solutions out there right now. Yeah. What is in the drive behind that push? Is that, is that regulation or is it something that they see, hey, I can, we can actually create a competitive advantage here? Like It's interesting to see whether they use the stick or the carrot. Yeah. yeah, I think it depends on who you're speaking to. So probably 50% of our clients are recruitment agencies or RPOs. And for them, they are literally being mandated by their clients to demonstrate that they have and can produce a diverse shortlist. Without that, they're just not winning the business. So for them, it's it's much more kind of external perspective. For many of the bigger clients that we speak to, particularly in the US and the UK, there's just no question anymore that you are under both internal and external pressure to get this right now. You know, it's no longer optional. It's no longer a nice to have. Whether I think the business value and understanding is there, Probably not at this stage, because like I said, so many people don't have any way of measuring that. 
So until that's in place, it's actually quite difficult to say, okay, we're going to do it because we know we can make X amount of extra money or whatever it might be, even though there are many studies out there that demonstrate such statistics. So I think the more sort of measurable, quantifiable solutions that come up for this problem, the more that will be the case in time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my own perspective, maybe that's, yeah, like I said, my own perspective is that I sometimes I think even see that I think it's, it's a very simplistic problem. Just mm. count, you know? <laughs> yeah. What do we see in the hallway? Is it equal? Yeah. What do we, you know, in, on various things? Do you need a solution for that? And yeah, yeah the opportunities at the end is that, that these solutions will not only help you yeah, make it happen, but actually make you or give you a position of advantage. Exactly. And I think, you know, we start at the very beginning. Our plan is to integrate with, you know, really clever HR tech solutions that are already in the market that hand off from us. So those that help you to select people without bias, those that help you to onboard people well, those that help you with inclusion once you get people into your company. And all of those steps are equally important. You know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. And we're, you know, we will be partnering with many of those solutions because, you know, our clients will need them and their clients need a solution like ours. Because there's no point doing it, you know, just for one bit of the process. But yeah, I think, you know, there are some very smart solutions out there. Orange Cat is is one of them that we're integrating within the Netherlands, actually. Another one called Pymetrics, which is very smart, predictive hire. You know, there are other players in this in this DNI space, let's say. We just haven't seen that many within the sourcing side of things. Yeah, I mean, I can I can connect you to a number as well, and uh, let's let's discuss it after this call. It's a smart way to move because at the end, this is yeah a best of breeds that you stack on top of something that you already have, and then make that the value from that uh, a lot better. Mm-hmm. So you said you're going to officially launch in about in, a, in about a month, right? Yeah, so we're officially launching at the start of Q1. You know, as I said, we're very lucky to have a pretty decent organic pipeline. Our investors yeah. have been really helpful in that respect. Haley and I already had a large network, you know, in the right space. And we have advisors on board as well in most regions of the world. So, you know, we're we're kind of ready to go. I mean, the tech is being rigorously tested now by our by our early adopter clients, which is keeping us awake at night, but that's fine. (laughs) You know, we're certainly seeing some really good results there. And we're just raising another round as well. So we'll be hopefully announcing that shortly. Yeah, like I said, it's, the space is yeah boiling hot almost. Everybody has their attention. Yeah, on it. exactly. I think it's now that sort of speed to market is the next challenge for us. Yeah. And, and that involves obviously hiring from a sales perspective. Our digital marketing kicks off in a couple of weeks. So if you're on LinkedIn, you'll probably be seeing us on there a bit more. And all of those bits and pieces coming together towards, you know, as we as we get towards launch. You got a fantastic following. I was just, I mean, just before this, the, the interview started, I checked out also the company. I mean, for a startup to have a, a close to 60,000 followers, it's like magic in itself, you know? <laughs> I think, yeah. That's, I mean, I think it's all, it's all down to our, we are very active on LinkedIn. Yeah. We have a long history and a long, uh, you know, a large network. So we're, yeah. we're very fortunate in that respect. And that certainly helped to drive, you know, the growth of the company even to this point, really. That's true. Yeah, exactly. So when, what, what choices did you make, just to kind of go back to your pricing example, like what yes. was, the, was the choice you've made in terms of coming up with the right type of pricing? 
Yeah, no, good, good point. So we work on a subscription basis. So the way that it works is that businesses can trial for 29 US dollars, which gives them a month's access so they can see how it works for them. And then beyond that, it's a minimum six month subscription. And it works around about one user, two jobs every month, which is how we kind of understand how people are moving through the platform, how many jobs that they're putting through. And that's about 100 US dollars a month. But we've just put up a fee calculator on the site, actually, at diversity.io, because you know, people want to understand what the savings are as they add more jobs or more users. And that's definitely part of the model. So they can now get a decent estimate of how much it will will cost them on a monthly basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a pity that it's like down to cost again and not to upside. But I mean, that's that's a hard one to cover. You know, it's going, they're going to make a decision whether they, they want it, yes or no, based on the cost that they're going to pay for it. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's so much more to it. But I mean, I think that's just evolution of where you're going. And, yeah, uh, I think so. And I think what I can certainly say is that this solution was built on my own very kind of hard road in this space. And I've yeah. done every single part of this, of this tech solution in a manual way. You know, I've gone yeah. out, I've gone to the nail bars, I've gone to the schools, I've gone to places where women might be hanging out when I had hopscotch to get them onto the platform, you know, physically. I have rewritten, I don't know how many different job ads for my clients to make them more appealing to those women to apply. I've anonymized CV after CV after CV. This takes, I mean, it's not even hours, you know, it's months and weeks and whatever of time. And that time is money, essentially. So, you know, what we say is that through our experiments, we've been able to attract up to 70% more diverse talent. We've been able to attract twice the relevant talent in half the time. That's that's the most important point. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, I think it's also, it's also about reaching the best people. Exactly. Yeah. It's not about doing it for diversity's sake. It's because you want to find the best person for that job. Are you going to do that if you're only reaching 20% of the population? No. (laughs) True, true. Yeah, but that's something possibly to think about going forward with your pricing model to see how that can be, yeah, how you can incorporate it. That's a different thing. I'd love to chat about that another time for sure. <laughs> I mean, I've been responsible for pricing, so I know <laughs> I know how hard it is and, and how it's unbelievably hard. yeah biased this is as well and full of opinions. But anyway, yeah. so yeah. I wrote a book, Remarkable Effect. In that book, I addressed the 10 traits that define, from my perspective, what you need to do differently to become a remarkable software business from your own experience. Like what do you believe are the key traits that you apply yourself to become a business that people keep talking about? That's a very good question. Look, I think, you know, I actually did a LinkedIn post on something similar to this a few weeks back and I wrote, and I actually forget what I wrote now, but one of the things that definitely came up for me was you need to be rebellious you know, you need to be happy swimming against the current. You need to be looking at a problem from a completely different perspective or solving a completely new problem that nobody solved before. And you need to be prepared to sit on the fringes of every everything that anybody else believes in order to make that happen. Without that, I don't really see the point of being an entrepreneur. You know, you can have as much grit as you like. You can have as much passion as you like. I believe in all of those things. But passion can die very quickly. 
grit can get very boring if you know you're not solving something that you really care about and if you're not able to think outside the box then unfortunately there's going to be a hundred other people who are doing the same thing so I think it's you know it's really that it's just not being afraid to go against the grain love it love it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean that's it speaks to so many of the traits that I talk about in my book. One of them, for example, being, yeah, aim to be different, not better. And I think in that, in that different is, is where the rebellious comes up. You know, it, there's so many people that try to be safe. Yeah, it's fine. You likely have a, an okay trajectory. Yeah. But not something that people will talk about. <laughs> likely forget, no. forget very quickly. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. And I think, you know, controversy sometimes comes as part of that. I think the way that you set up and run the business as well. I was actually talking to one of our investors last night about that. And he was asking, you know, when are you going to open an office? How are you, how are you going to have a, grow a team? Well, I'm not. I don't plan on having an office, particularly in this world. I've worked remotely as a mom of three young kids for the last six years, you know, and built businesses successfully. I don't expect people to come into work, you know, in a specific place. I don't expect them to work specific times. That is just in my DNA, it's how I plan on running the business. And, you know, Hayley and I are completely in agreement about that. So that's just what, you know, that's just one example of how we see it. You know, we live and breathe that, I guess, you know, it comes down to, again, to diversity. If you're expecting everybody to conform to a certain model, then you're just not going to get the right, the right talent into the business. Spot on. Yeah. And I mean, I think the last, well, the year, the year that we've just been through it just proves it that this yeah. works. Because every business, whether they liked it or not, had to be without an office. Totally. um, It sped up the whole whole argument by 10 years plus. You know, it was exhausting making these points over and over again to businesses and them just saying, but, you know, my view on anyone who, who really disagrees with this is, well, then if you don't trust your employees enough to do the job that you've hired them for, you shouldn't have hired them in the first place. You know, so... It's not about the hours they're working. It's about the job they're doing and the value that they're providing. I don't care whether people work six hours a day or 10. I mean, whatever. It's nothing. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I'm paying them to do a job. Just, you know, do it in yep. whatever, whatever hours they want to. That's fine. Yep, that's completely true. I've had the luxury also to be able to work very remote from the office. And it was all about the trust and looking at like, what is it? How, how, how do I make a difference? And if I don't do that, you know, then we have a discussion. Exactly. That's it. It's about setting goals and giving people the right support and ensuring, you know, we have our teams are in Vietnam, Philippines, uh, India, the US. And it's just about checking in, you know, making sure that you have trackable and measurable goals in place and ensuring that they have the right tools to do the job. And knowing what that job is and where we're all going. Yeah. How do you keep that alignment going? I mean, to ensure that everybody stays on track of your North Star. Because I mean, that, that's, I think, you said the journey so far was pretty smooth. From my perspective, it has a lot to do with being super clear about the, the meaningful problem you try to solve. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, do you know what? It's very interesting. We had our first team what do we call it, team outing, obviously online, with everybody last week. And before we held the meeting, we asked everybody to complete a personality test. 
So, you know, because we all work remotely, we don't see each other every day. We certainly don't talk. I don't talk to the tech team every day. My co-founder doesn't talk to our sales and marketing associate every day. So just a way of getting to know each other a little bit better. And interestingly enough, we're very, you know, we were very diverse in terms of gender and age, even and ethnicity and background. We were not very diverse on personality type. So I think there is, yeah, it was quite bizarre to see those pie charts come up. We all have pretty much exactly the same portions of traits in our personality. And I think, you know, we discussed it afterwards and obviously it's not sustainable because we will need to attract people with different attitudes and approaches and so on as we go on. But it's really, I think it comes down to people who are risk takers and who are willing to, to join a startup. It doesn't suit everybody. <laughs> you know, this lifestyle does not suit everybody. This approach does not suit everybody. So when you join an early, early stage startup, you have to be very on board with the mission. You have to be very on board with wearing lots of different hats. So I think that's how we've managed to get to this point so quickly True. to answer True. your question, because we're all very clear on what that is. And we all have the same working style in a way at this point but yes that will have to diversify as we go forward no doubt yeah uh, <laughs> i agree with that and i mean it possibly also the only part where that you really can't can't influence too much because you need a certain a certain mindset in this begin stage but last, well the moment you grow you you can easily kind of get that into the right place so out of all the tidbits that you've learned so far in, in starting your or starting this business and the, the ones that you started before what would be an advice that you could give other CEOs or that's like want to give, build, well, breathe new air in their company or people that want to start something like you? Yeah. What is a do and a don't? Yeah. So I would say don't try and do everything yourself. It's literally impossible. Become very good at delegating rather than sort of closely having to manage people. You have to know what you can delegate and what you can step away from. I mean, as the CEO, eventually, it should be the world's easiest job because you should have amazing teams underneath you who are simply bringing you the results of what they've done for you to course correct, course correct, course correct, to keep you going in the right direction. I can't say I'm in that position just yet, but hopefully I will be quite soon. In terms of things to focus on, I think there's an Einstein quote that says, if I was given a problem to solve, I would spend the first 55 minutes looking at the problem and the last five minutes coming up with a solution for it. You really need to get under the bonnet of what this problem is and how it's really affecting people and that there are genuine pain points around it before you go off and create something big and crazy to try and solve something that isn't really a problem in the first place. And honestly, I mean, that is blood, sweat and tears. That for me was four and a half, five years of utter frustration, banging my head against brick walls. You know, many high points as well, but not enough for me to think that this was the right way forward. So I think, yeah, that that's what I would say in terms of if you're looking to start out or if you're looking at, you know, where your business is perhaps not, not working that well. Very good point about, I heard the Einstein quote before and it's such, yeah, it's an eye opener for if you really think about it and people go so easy on, I think that I know what the problem is and they are, I mean, the work that I do with, with people, like I said this morning, we went through about 40 or 40 different problems that were, that were noted and close to 30 were not a problem. <laughs> so it's, how did you know? How did it feel when you were like, and now I got it right? Yeah, I have to say 
it was almost like a weight off my shoulders, actually. And I don't think that point came until Hayley and I started working together because I knew what I wanted to create, but I had absolutely no idea whether it was possible. You know, I'm not a tech person. I don't come from a tech background. So I just didn't know whether this was going to be possible. And when Hayley, you know, her previous company was a tech offshoring company. So she was helping businesses here in Singapore find tech talent in Vietnam. So she'd worked with the best of the best. I mean, I don't know if you know much about the Southeast Asian tech scene, but Vietnam is an absolute hotbed of tech talent. It really is kind of second to none in this region. So it was just kind of like, you know, a light had gone on. Wow, you know, we know what we want to solve. We know what the problems are. And here's a team to get this done. And I think when we started to raise money, we just started, you know, shooting out emails to people that we knew, friends, family, connections, all the rest of it. And we won HRM Asia's top three tech startups in August of last year. And we would we were just so shocked because we didn't have a product. You know, we didn't have anything built yet. We just had basically the idea and the MVP. And I think it was that moment where we kind of went, okay, you know, let's get going. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as the problem is is if you just win on that pitch or that build or that, yeah, then you know you you got something that has poten- a lot of potential. What's next for you? What is your big aspiration to do in the next, to be or to become in the next 12 months, 18 months? Yeah, so we want to, you know, be the the gold standard for bias-free sourcing and, and hiring. So we have a diversity certification that we've set up for businesses that have used our platform for a certain number of months so that they can demonstrate that they are executing a bias-free hiring process both their clients, their shareholders, publicly, et cetera, et cetera. And we really want to, you know, be at the very top of that and top of mind, really, for for those businesses in the UK and the US. Those are really our key markets. I think we're very lucky to have the connections that we have in Southeast Asia, in the Middle East, in India, and so on. I just, you know, I know those markets are not 100% ready for the solution that we have. There's still quite a lot of awareness building that needs to go into that. They generally are only focused on gender, you know, and perhaps not on the other areas of of DNI. And while they're looking to understand it, they're not necessarily looking for a specific solution around it just yet. Whereas we know that's that's such a different story in in the UK and the US, for example. So this is this is where we're heading. Good stuff. What is your big ask? I mean, if there's anyone in the audience that listens to this that could help, what, what would you ask? Oh, now let's think. Here's my big opportunity. (laughs) No, I think for us, you know, anybody that has any knowledge or is interested in even joining the company from a sales perspective, we would love to hear from them right now. It's our next big hiring project. We're looking for a team, obviously. We will be looking for a VP of sales. We need somebody with SaaS experience and selling into, into more developed markets. And, you know, this is kind of my biggest, yeah, my biggest project right now. So anyone that can help with that, absolutely. And of course, anybody that, that wants to learn more about software or use it for their own purposes, there's lots of resources and, you know, we can certainly run people through a demo, which is always quite a, you know, joyous experience when they see it and they get it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, 
I love this conversation. Thank you for the openness. Thank you for for explaining the story. And there's a couple of yeah big points that I say that are key takeaways for anyone listening to this. I've certainly learned a couple of things from it. Good luck with the launch. And um, yeah, I mean, I hope that in the, in the next years you indeed become the gold standard because once that happens, the world is going to be a different place. That's the point. Exactly. That's our North Star. Exactly. Thanks. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, everyone. And this ends my conversation with Helen. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Helen McGuire, co-founder and CEO of Diversely. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.